Welcome to the Realized Gains Podcast, a guide to real estate investing. Join our co-hosts, Jordan Lee and Stephen Tran, as we interview a diverse group of real estate investors, both amateur and professional. Our goal is to help you understand that anyone can invest in real estate. Tune in to hear creative strategies and learn from both our mistakes and our successes. You can find us where you love to listen to podcasts, on YouTube, or at jordanleemortgage.com. Hey everybody, it's Alex Spann. Great to have you join us today. I'm with my co-hosts Jordan Lee and Stephen Tran. And today we're just going to dive into kind of market updates, see the pulse of where we're at today. Yeah, I'm super excited about this episode. Uh, Alex has some great examples for you. Stephen's got some good tips on short-term rentals. And what else did we talk about? Yeah, we talked about Alex's 10plex, some of the troubles he went through. Oh yeah. Uh, basically, how do you basically do cash for keys for your tenants or go through the eviction process in general. Yeah, so a lot of interesting content. Hope you enjoy the video. Hey guys, welcome to the episode. I'm here with Jordan and Alex and uh, we're here to talk about some market updates. Awesome. How's the week been for you guys? Busy. Yeah? Busy still, even with uh, you know interest rates going up and everything. Still got lots of people still buying. Perfect. Yeah, same here. My, uh, you know, it's been wild. Buyers are actually still out there. Like, I think a lot of the news is focused on the market slowdown, of course. And, yeah. You know, but really, it's been pretty active out there, and our clients are still looking at homes. Um, pretty, pretty busy. I mean, people always need to buy, sell, and refinance. There's, there's lots of reasons to do that. Of course, when rates go up, there's less reasons to refinance. But there's still plenty more. People need to get cash out. People get divorced. People, people die. Um, so that, you know, there's lots. Lots of reasons to sell and refinance. Um, you know, I, I've, like you guys were saying, I've had a couple clients reach out to me that I haven't heard from from a while that they just need to move stuff, right? Yeah. Yeah. A lot of, some people forget, so there's so much just timing involved, right? Life, you know, and so things don't, you know, the move, the big move doesn't always happen until you, you know, when you expect it to. And then all of a sudden it happens and you got to jump into the market, mm -hmm. you know, and timing's been good. Um, I had a pretty interesting week. I have, uh, many of you know, I bought this uh, 10plex in Portland, and uh, it, was a, it was a very exciting week for me. Uh, one of our most problematic tenants was, um, let's just say, there's my speculation, there's a lot of illicit drug activity around the property, so I was really nervous uh, going <laughs> to meet this tenant, um, and we negotiated a uh, what's commonly called a cash for keys offer, and that's where a landlord will pay a tenant to voluntarily vacate their unit. Instead of forcibly evicting them or... Um, exactly, exactly. You know, instead of going through like a full legal eviction process um, and, and all that stuff, um, we decided to make an offer to this tenant and glad, glad that they accepted it. I was really nervous, you know, uh, about it. And um, so anyways, I met the tenant at the property. I was really scared. Honestly, like... Wait, now, sorry. Go back to this cash for keys program. Did you have an attorney draft up something for you? Or how, how did that... Explain how that part works. Because I remember we did a class on this a couple years back. And yeah, kind of yeah. So it's, I'll give you two different examples because I did it two different ways. Um, the unit had five residents, and we ended up doing cash for keys for all of them. Because mm -hmm. I, my goal was really to turn over the property as quickly as possible and start over fresh. So in three of the tenants, we used a property manager who facilitated the cash for keys okay. offers. Okay. And yes, there was a document that they signed, uh, a voluntary, I forget the words, but voluntary notice to vacate document. Got it. Um, and um, yeah, I paid them half up front when they signed the document. 
of the relocation amount. And then uh, upon possession of the keys and handover, that's when I gave them the remaining amount. Got it. Through the attorney, now the other two, because um, I basically inherited these tenants when I bought the property. They, these two tenants were already through a legal eviction process with an attorney. Mm -hmm. And since that process had already started with the attorney, I just kind of decided to keep going with it. Mm -hmm. In hindsight now, and the lesson I'll share with you guys, I, pr I, I might do that differently next time. But just for these people, yeah. I was like, all right, we've got an attorney involved. <clears throat> it's legal. It should be fine, right? So I ended up paying, the attorney drafted that same voluntary notice document. It was definitely more on a legal form, so the formatting looked different you know, for a court. Um, but it was essentially the same nuts and bolts as what the property management had. And it just basically had spelled out terms that the tenant agreed to notice on a certain date and time, that the landlord would agree to give an amount for compensation, and any other terms or conditions that we sprinkled in there. Um, and, and of course, I have to pay that attorney too. Um, the attorney route definitely was more expensive than the property manager route. Mm. My, one of my lessons, takeaways here is, you know, I was nervous because this is my first time. But I think I definitely could have done it without the attorney, probably. Yeah. You know. Well, typically a property management team will have attorneys on retainer or are their own kind of legal services too, right? Yeah. Yeah. Exactly. And uh, but you know. So, anyways, I I good learning. Good learning. Good learning. Right? Good learning. Yeah. Great education. Um, long story short, I met the tenant at the property, and um, actually, you know, they weren't there. They, they were not at the property at all by the time that I believed that they had to vacate by. They ended up actually calling me back that evening t explaining the circumstances. And you know, in this situation, I always like remember, I, I'm a humanitarian type person, right? I understand how difficult and challenging this is mm -hmm. for the tenant too. And I'm not there to try to be an evil person. And so you're not I, putting a lean on them and no, no, them. <laughs> no. Well, I, I mean, actually, it's Which, it, you know what, what you know, like you don't know because I, you know, Stephen actually shared a story where one time a, a, a client gave a you know notice cash for keys and the tenant ended up not leaving, right? And so it got even worse. Right. Um, so you never really know, mm -hmm. um, but uh, I wanted. I told the tenant, look, if you agree to do everything and just vacate. I promise that I will not follow through on a legal eviction <coughs> or uh, I think one of the words was notice of restitution, you know, yeah. basically. You know? Can I ask, I mean, obviously with cash for keys, it's a bit of a negotiation. What does the standard eviction look like in Portland specifically? I know there's like specific move out costs you're usually supposed to pay and why would you do cash for keys over this? Yeah, um, <laughs> great question, Stephen. Yeah. Uh, one. We're not, I'm not an attorney here or a property manager, so I really will tell our audience to list, talk to a, a professional license manager. This is just my Always. own experience and my knowledge, okay? Um, you know, Portland's certainly one of the more complicated cities to um, evict a tenant because yeah. of the landlord-tenant protections in place. Um, those rules are also always evolving. I mean, it's all relative, too. right? I mean, if you look at California, they've got similar <coughs> rules. You look at New York, they've got similar rules. Yeah, I yeah. think we, we complain a lot about it because it's new in this area. Yeah, but, true. Yeah. Compared to other markets, it's not crazy, right? Exactly, exactly. But it is it is new, and so it's kind of like when you are navigating those waters and you're not sure, you don't want to uh, you know, do something improperly because it could reset timings or extend time, right? And you know, from my general knowledge, you know, there is a 90-day notice that needs to be given. 
depending on the number of bedrooms, it can, uh, you know, that can count towards how much relocation assistance you will be required to pay them, et cetera. Yeah. Um, and it doesn't necessarily guarantee that they actually leave either. You know, what I mean, well, like, like I said, they don't, they could agree, but they may not too, right? So what's their incentive? Yeah. <clears throat> there yeah. has to be another incentive sometimes. I, I mean, that's the conversation I have with my clients a lot is, oh, you're looking to buy in Portland? Before you do that, you know, as an investor, you know, you know, paying these costs is part of your bottom line, you know, and that's something they have to worry about here that you might not have to worry about in another city. Yeah. Which is challenging. So yeah, actually, and plus two, I was I was kind of <clears throat> dragging this out. It took six months for this whole process from from where we're at now. And one of my clients who is a more uh, veteran investor, he's like, Alex, just pay them now. Like, just bite the bullet, pay them. Right. So in total, it cost me with legal fees about $26,000 for five, uh, five units. And the, my client was like, yeah, that's okay. Because, you know, you, Long need term. To, you need to get this project stabilized ASAP, yeah. right? I need to refinance and get my money back out and then regain cash flow. Because at this point, I'm not generating any cash flow. And if the longer they sit there, I'm just bleeding, right? Yeah. So bite the bullet, make pay make the investment it's cheaper in that route than the long run you know just dragging it out yeah so exactly i i well and i and i, I will say to steven's <clears throat> point yeah some some people are a little bit nervous about this some people are a little bit afraid of it and that's probably why you got the property discount because people didn't want to go they knew the investors knew that they would have to go through this process however it does also create i would say it creates opportunity Right, because because investors are shy about that doing that because they don't want to go through that process. If you're able to, you know, get this done, then you're able to get a because pro- you got the property for a really affordable price, right? Yeah, yeah, I got I, huge, I affordable. a huge up, huge upside too. I hope so. <laughs> I, I mean, you got to make it. You got to get the work done. But yeah, yeah, yeah. I, I I find that the best investments are the ones that take the most work. Mm-hmm. Yeah, you know, yeah. if you can handle. Yeah, if you can uh, stomach it. Yeah, <laughs> if you can stomach it. And, you know, Alex had a video where he did the walkthrough of the property. <laughs> Let's just say uh, you need, like, a gas mask and a shovel. To yeah. To get through you that need to wear it. one of those suits, actually. <laughs> it has that suit, suit, probably. <laughs> There's, like, yeah, you know. And, and yeah, it, it was a very humbling experience, honestly, because, you know, this is real life, and, and this is where it, you have to consider, like, gosh, this is how this person is living, unfortunately. Right, it's a, it's a very sad situation, but um, I, I, I just want you know to share, like when I met them in person, it was very amicable. It was like, hey, I, want, I wish the best for you. I want you to find like, you know, support and everything you need. And she appreciated that too, this yeah. person did, excuse me. And um, so it ended up working out and um, you know, <laughs> we got the property back yesterday and my final tenant is moving out at the end of this week. So it will be completely, vacated uh, at the end of this week, which is exciting because now we get to continue through the process, get them done, and then get the units back on the market. Yeah, I I mean, you know, I'd say on an ethical standpoint, like you are giving them money to help hopefully transition to a place that is in, you know, in a better repair state. And I know that, you know, this property, you're going to have to spend a lot to get it up to a proper habitable condition. Dude, you know, it's a little scary. I mean, scary not for me, but I was like, hey, you know, like moving out, help, help meeting her, and she's packing up her car with all the things. I'm like, yeah, you know, hey, do you have a forwarding address? Because I needed the form for 
uh, an abandoned property notice. And then, you know, if you have a tenant who's vacating and they're leaving any possessions in the property, yeah. you need to have an abandoned property notice signed by the tenant, uh, you know, basically, or else you have to store and hold those items for up to 90 days, you know, for them to collect it. So I had that done and I asked her, oh, do you have a forwarding address? And uh, she's like, hey, I'm, I'm, well, I'm renting an Airbnb right now. Oh, God. <laughs> so I hope it's not your Airbnb. No, no, no. no, no. <laughs> but you never know. You never know, you know. And um, anyways, that's, that's uh, you know, the situation. Okay. Yeah. Like it, I said, it's, you know, I think once you get your place to a habitable spot and you, you're giving 10 people like a home that has proper plumbing, because mm -hmm. I know there's a lot of work in basically all aspects. Oh, all yeah. Aspects of that unit. One of the units when we got in, I didn't even realize, but all of the <clears throat> subfloor was completely rotted. And so basically everything was pitched and, you know, sinking into the floor. So one of the units, they're completely rebuilding the footings and all the support uh, for the flooring doing all the walls and in this one particular unit it was uh, hopefully maybe we'll throw up the video on the b-roll but uh, you I lifted one thing and like 10 10 cockroaches like scattered all about and it was just like ah, jump yeah. back you know it's terrifying. <laughs> it, it is you know it's and hard to live with dignity when, when you're in a space like that <clears throat> oh totally and she I mean they even she was like I'm very embarrassed about this and I'm like I I understand and I want you to feel okay you know, because I understand that this is the type of thing you had to go through, which yeah. is not easy. So, and maybe it's a chance for them to reset too. You know, absolutely, they got some cash in their pocket. And absolutely. Yep. Yeah, you know, life is very circumstantial. I think we forget about that, and we come. We tend to compare so much to what we see, you know, online, social media these days. But you know, life can turn quickly for anybody, and so I think we always have to appreciate that when we're going through these situations and learn as much as we can because that will help us on our future projects you know yeah. how to how to work with tenants more effectively how to have that relationship with them so that way it's win-win because at the end of the day you don't want a combative situation you know as an owner investor when you have that situation the tenants just gonna do more harm to you potentially than good right so right start off right I'd say that's a really good lesson to start off right with the with the upfront work you know but um, for me that was a really big highlight this week uh, very exciting so the contractors are, are full speed working ahead and, and excited to see how it comes out and I'll give you guys some updates on maybe on the next podcast yeah no I mean I was there it's starting to look really good uh, some of those units drywalls clean and looks like it's gonna be a like a boon to the neighborhood yeah I hope so I hope so I think that's one start of it you know but we'll see yeah, yeah. yeah. <laughs> Time will tell. <laughs> Anything exciting happened for you guys this week? Jordan? Uh, sh sure. I have a couple interesting things going on. I have one one client. So recently, and I think we, we might have briefly touched on this, but um, Freddie Mac updated their guidelines. Uh, and Freddie Mac, they do conventional loans, um, one of the two conforming lenders. And one of the awesome things that they allow is that they allow Airbnb income on a primary purchase now. So this, this client is, is purchasing a, a new primary and there's a detached ADU on the property and he was able to qualify for about um, 75, maybe $100,000 extra in purchase price um, because he could use the income from that, the potential income. I mean, the, the, right now the detached ADU um, is being used as a short-term rental but what the appraiser looked at for, for the income qualifications is he looked at what the market rent would be for as if, as if it was a long-term rental. 
Um, so basically, long story short, is the appraiser said, oh, this would be worth about $1,500 a month in rental, and so I was able to add 75% of that to the client's income, and it, he, so he was able to qualify for um, a little bit more in, in his purchase, uh, which is which is awesome. He's a super experienced investor, um, and you know he, he has plans to, to use that, and, and so I think um, conventional loans are recognizing now that ADUs are, are, are valuable um, and and able and you know they're we're able to collateralize them better than we were just just a few months ago, which which is cool. And the other thing they did with the guideline changes, they made it um, so you can finance properties that are like triplexes that have ADUs because um, before you had to go through like a portfolio lender um, to be able to do that, which is. So yeah, it's it's pretty. I'm pretty excited about the new change and like the underwriting on it was super easy. It's not a it's not a special program or anything. It's just in the in the main in the main book of guidelines now. That sounds great. I mean, at least in our market, we're seeing more and more properties be developed like that that either have. Well, our zoning laws are are very much in favorable of it, right? I mean, yeah. what's what's the deal now? You can build anywhere in Portland as long as you have the space for it. You can build. You can have two ADUs, right? You can have one. Mm-hmm. Um, attached and one detached now is that is that mm-hmm. the case and I mean of course there's various laws and, and you should talk to the city and look at your zoning before you try and do a project but um, I, th- I mean I think that's the way that they're developing here and Port and Portland set a model for a lot of other a lot of other municipalities and, and, and I think you'll see it over the country too housing is just continuing to be short and it's a, the cheapest way to I mean it's got to be the cheapest way to put a put a unit on your property right Mm-hmm. I think so for sure. I mean, like I said, it's really a great way to get started investing. Is like just use if you do have a property of your own to get started there, to utilize the rules that are there, and now you can utilize that income from that property to kind of help you move on to the next one. Yeah, yeah, and you could so let like let's say you had a primary that had a basement that you know had a separate entrance, and you were able to do the sweat equity and convert it. Um, you could then refinance out, and if it was rented out, you could use that rental income to qualify so basically the appraiser is definitely going to see more value in that now that now that the guidelines have changed and you can use that income to help you short term and long term um so if you want to use the short term income from it you're going to need to have it on your taxes like like anytime you use short term income it's sort of like being self-employed um so they're going to want to see a history of doing on the schedule e yeah um but if it Otherwise, if you have a long-term lease, you know, for for primary, that 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 works. Yeah, no, it's a great way to get started. So, yeah, yeah. house hacking. Yeah, no, I mean, I'm I'm a big advocate of that. I mean, that's how I started my journey. Obviously, obviously with the multifamily, but I, I tell a lot of people now with how uh, prices are, <clears throat> excuse me, and interest rates. You know, sometimes the best way is just to get started, and even if it's not cash flowing or making money immediately, it's a good option to just save on your mortgage. Yeah. Like, you have this property that ADU is going to add to the value of your home and you know, you can cut a chunk off your yeah. mortgage. You're better off than 90% of people. So, yeah, I, I had a client recently called me too. They were looking at they wanted to finance just like one of those companies that comes and drops a trailer in your backyard that's that's a ready built ADU. I think yeah. it was like 120 or 100 somewhere between 100 and 120,000. Mm-hmm. Uh, yeah. I mean, this is a little bit different because it's not um, attached to a permanent foundation. It's like one of those boxes that Elon Musk lives in. Right? <laughs> like those, uh, boxable? Yeah, yeah boxable. I mean, they, just, they, bring it, they bring it on the trailer, yeah. crane, crane it in there, I think, and, um, 
and then yeah, then they can rent it out. But they they ended up getting basically an auto loan to do that because um, you know they had they had a super low rate they had bought a couple of years ago, and they they didn't want to refinance their whole mortgage. Yeah. Um, and so there are different like auto loans. It, it was kind hmm. of weird. It was I mean maybe over fifteen or twenty year type type. Interesting. Situation. Well, speaking of interest rates and auto loans. I mean, there's some big movement as far as the Fed goes on interest rates last week, Jordan. You want to Yeah, sure. That? So, <coughs> last week the Fed funds raised their their interest rate. They raised the the Federal Reserve rates their Fed funds rate by 0.75%. And and a lot of people see this and they're like, "Oh, okay, mortgage rates went up 0.75%." But that that's not really the case. Um so what the Fed funds rate is is the rate that commercial banks lend each other money at. Um, or like, you know, depository institutions. So like, let's say that, you know, I, we all, let's say we all own banks and s someone came to your bank, Stephen, and, and you need, they will try to withdraw a bunch of cash. Um, well, you're like, Hey Jordan, I need some cash. Here's some treasury bonds. And then I, and then I give you some, some, um, you know, cash. And then I'm going to be like, okay, but here's, you know, this, but I'm giving it to you at this overnight rate. Yeah. So that's the fed funds rate. And so what, Banks, you know, people are always pulling out loans from banks for credit cards, be it HELOCs, auto loans. So what that Fed funds really controls is the short-term rates, not long-term rates like mortgage rates. And what that's one of the few, one of the main levers that the Federal Reserve uses to, to because um, their mandate is to slow down inflation or keep inflation at a more neutral rate of around 2%. Um, and so the idea of, of them hiking the federal funds rate is to slow down the pace of HELOCs, slow down auto loans, right? Oh, maybe I won't buy that car because I can't qualify for it anymore. Maybe I won't, you know, fund that thing on my credit card because the rate went up from twenty to twenty-five. <laughs> you know, whatever yeah. it is for yeah. credit card. Yeah, and they, uh, they're they're kind of like like pressuring consumer spending, basically. Yeah, they're they're trying to slow down the economy because exactly. inflation, you know, inflation it's reports so continue to be pretty strong, and so we're they're trying to make it a more neutral. Two um, percent. Um, so the idea is is that by raising that Fed funds rate, it's going to, you know, put a throttle on inflation. Um, what did we see to the mortgage, mortgage rate? Yeah, it, yeah. Helped, it helped mortgage rates, right? Because, at, you know, if you lend money for a living, like if that's that's the only way you make money, right? Is I'm lending people thirty year bonds over over time, so I'm getting a fixed return, right? So every month I'll get two thousand dollars. Well, if inflation's going up, my two thousand dollars will only be able to buy, you know, less over time, right? So I can only buy a certain amount of milk and eggs with that two thousand dollars, and so instead, I'm going to have to raise my rates for my clients because I know that my my fixed return is going to be less over time. So when I see inflation going up, I have to raise my prices. Um, so the idea that on the higher level is that when the Fed raises their interest rate and they're being serious about dealing with inflation, then I'm like, okay. I know inflation's going to go down because the Fed's raising their rates, so I can I can bring my my rates down a little bit. Um, of course, that's not the only thing that impacts interest rates. There's there's a lot of there's a lot of factors, and and we had a nice um, dip in mortgage rates for a couple of days after the raise, but it's already like you know it's already like reset. So it's like anytime you hear something about the news about interest rates, probably the next day it's it's already reversed. So yeah, it's just so hard to. Um, 
it's a fluctuating that. market. Yeah, yeah, it's a fluctuating market. <clears throat> exactly. And there are a lot of factors that we've covered in our previous uh, videos that affect your specific interest rate that you may get for. So definitely connect with Jordan and find out. But, you know, you know, I think mortgage rates have soft. I mean, since they peaked, and when I say peaked, they were getting into the sixes, of course. Um, and right now, I mean, Jordan, are we still in the sixes or below? I mean, if you're like for investment properties, or if you have lower credit, yeah, you might you might be up in that range. But you're you're right now, yeah, you're gonna be in in the high fours to mid fives, depending on the program. If you're buying a primary residence and you know you know a thirty year fixed type situation, but um, you know that like I said, it's it's gonna fluctuate. And and, and from a historical perspective, you know, and if we look at average rates in the last thirty years, it's you know I think it's closer to seven percent. So rates aren't. Yeah. crazy it just it just feels high when we look back in the last couple of years but well, it definitely like was sticker shock for buyers who were in the process of home buying you know who initially got pre-qualified in a four to five range and then when we saw a, a spike up to now in the sixes buyer demand definitely slowed down oh i think about it like this i mean so, so if your rates at like two and a half three percent and and, and your realtor's like, hey, we need to offer an extra seventy thousand dollars to win this house. And you go to your lender, and they're like, how much? You know, how much? What does that mean? And they're like, oh, the monthly payment will go up like hundred and twenty bucks or something. <laughs> you're like, oh, okay, yeah, no big deal. But when it's when the interest rates at five and a half percent, that hit suddenly like double or triple that, then you know, then it then it, you feel the sting a little bit more, and maybe you're not gonna gonna like just keep ratcheting up that price, right? Because yeah. Because it, um, you know, suddenly it, it hurts a little bit more. Totally. What I wanted to kind of transition and talk about, and I think this was in line, kind of dovetails easily into this, is that, you know, our buyers that Stephen and I have been working with in the first quarter this year compared to this quarter, there's a lot more opportunity for a buyer, actually. Mm. You know, when you're buying that A well-qualified buyer, especially. For, yes, yeah, for, exactly. a, for a qualified buyer, especially a well-qualified buyer, you've got a lot more opportunity. In the first quarter, as you, many of you know, Prices continued climbing, escalating, right? You were literally had to be comfortable <clears throat> with escalating the price above what they were asking for, potentially waiving an appraisal or covering any sort of gap or, you know, shortfall of the appraisal if it didn't happen, potentially waiving your inspection, buying as is, etc. Fast forward, you know, what now? What, what, you know, what is now, it? Summer 2022. Yeah, we're in August 3rd of 2022. Um, you know, we're actually seeing price reductions across the city. Yep. Right. That's what I meant by buyer demand has softened, right? And and those sellers had higher expectations, right? Because they wanted to catch that 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 rise, and they missed it. So now that we're seeing the prices come back down, we're actually able to help a lot of our buyers negotiate even below the listed price now. Is what I'm trying to say too. And even in the inspections that we're having, recently we just had a transaction where I was able to negotiate 14K in credits for the buyer through the inspections. That wouldn't have been possible in first quarter. Yeah, you know? I mean, I, I believe like uh, first quarter, a lot of sellers were just like, screw you, we're not giving you anything. Right. Take yeah. it as is, you know, if anything, give me more money. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Anyways, I also just got my, uh, one of my buyers everything they wanted on their list, mm -hmm. which was great, you know. Mm -hmm. um, I think, you know, like back, if we're thinking back as a realtor in quarter one, the only thing you had to do is, we're not gonna check anything, we're gonna take it as is and give you the highest number. And I think now is a time for skilled realtors to really come out, to negotiate, to build rapport, to 
to you know really find reasonable win-wins in this situation. Yeah, exactly. Yeah, it's it's not a one-sided negotiation. And as a listing agent, I feel like too pricing is. I mean, setting expectations. I guess is the is the right word, right? Because I mean, if the sellers listening to their neighbor, oh, I sold my home three three four months ago for yeah. for this amount, I should get at least that. Right. That's that's actually. I mean, setting expectations. When I'm yeah. working with a seller and going to list their home, I'm I'm telling them exactly that. You know, Mr. Seller, in the first quarter, yeah, we we could have been sold by the first weekend, but right now we're seeing really close to a, a forty day average time on market, which is you know. So if you're planning to sell and move by a certain time, you got to start forty days ahead because of the nature of the market and the slowdown. Not necessarily because there aren't buyers. It just takes buyers have more opportunity. Think about timing too. I think one thing a lot of we don't really talk about or have is just seasonality. Yeah. You know, like it's August. You have end of summer happening right now. You got a lot of, you know, people and families are doing their vacations and preparing for back to school. So it's kind of that timing too of, hey, we're not we're we're busy. We're not looking right now. You know. Um, so, I think that's a factor. In Oregon, I've always seen that trend. Basically, after May uh, in Oregon. We usually start seeing a, a, a de not necessarily yeah a decline or softening or slowdown of the market, and typically it picks back up usually in uh, late August you know September. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Someone was just telling me she's like a, a, a realtor. She was just telling me she's like I always plan my vacation for August because I I'd never want to go in July because I'm still busy then. But August I'm usually you know usually yeah. slows down a little bit, and I was like, yeah man, I should have done that because I was out on vacation in July. And Right, right. I'll say this is that I feel like the news cycle of price drops and everything is reaching my, my buyers. A mm -hmm. lot of my clients are like, oh, are they willing to do a price drop? I hear everything's dropping right now. Mm -hmm. So like, I think three out of my last pendings were all under, under list price. Mm -hmm. you know? mm -hmm. So like they're starting to expect, and I mean, maybe this is bad for uh, listing agents, but it's like, I have to get below that price. Yeah, because everybody else is dropping the price. They should no. too. Trust me. I mean, when we're in a transaction, it's all always in my philosophy is create win-win opportunities. You know, we're not. I'm not. Yes, I want to try to help my client negotiate and save. But if I have a seller on the other side that doesn't agree or not unwilling, we're not. We're not making a deal happen. Exactly. Right. So you got to be realistic about those expectations and conversations. And the tone of sellers agents has definitely changed too. Yeah. Right. Like before. a lot of callbacks now. Let's <laughs> now like, Give me feedback. What do you think? Please. You know. <laughs> You know, please, please, right? Yeah. And, um, you Returning know, calls. you know, like new, I would say new construction agents too. I mean, I'm, I'm, you know, for a while there, new construction agents weren't, you know, and bless their hearts, we need them. But, uh, you know, they didn't have to work, be so friendly with working with realtor partners. And I'm, I'm finally starting to see that tonality change a little bit, which I'm happy to see. But, um, you know, it's, let's, let's now talk about many forecasts, you know, like where were you? Talk about where we were first quarter, where yeah. we're at now. Where do you guys think we're headed, Jordan? Uh, well, I mean, if you so, I was just looking at the recent Core Logic and Case Shiller reports, um, and there's they're always like a, a couple months back, right? So it, it it's interesting. Like you see a lot of news media talking about decline in prices, decline in this, but really what what we're seeing is a decline in appreciation. So if you look at the report from from April, you know we were over we were at over twenty percent year over year appreciation, which is a joke. I mean, that, that's like a, a, a crazy amount of appreciation. That's 
you know, you buy a four hundred thousand dollar home and then you make eighty thousand dollars in one year. I mean, it feels like a little bit like crypt, like a crypto yeah, rush, I mean, you know. It, uh, yeah, I mean, it's not Doge, but it's, it's something yeah, yeah. <laughs> uh, unsustainable amount. And so, and, and in the recent report, it was, um, I think it was down just over 19. So it's still a ridiculous amount of appreciation. Um, what do you say? Homes are still appreciation, but at a lower at a, rate, at a slower, pace. slower pace. So homes are still going up in value, but not 19, 20% like year over year we yeah. experienced in well, the last couple of years. Well, and this number is from May. So we'll, we'll see in the June, July, August reports that, um, you know, it's, it's, uh, my guess is it's going to continue to slow off. I mean, you guys in the field always have a, a slightly better finger on the pulse of what's going on because the, the reports and data that I get are always... Because it takes a time, three, it takes four time months to behind, aggregate yeah. the data, yeah. right? Yeah. Um, and they're predicting like somewhere between five and um, what we what we feel like is a measly amount of appreciation of like five or six percent, you know, measly. mid single digits. But but if you if you purchase a four hundred thousand dollar house and you make five percent year over year, I mean that's twenty thousand dollars in equity gain. And if you and if you look at it with leverage, I mean the the percentage gain on that is just is huge and we know like super meaningful i mean with the stock market historically i think eight percent is the regular growth so five six you know you know in a slow-ish year is not too bad yeah i I think for if you look at the the history of the case shiller index and if you go back over like a 30 year 30 40 year period it's usually average in that mid force like 4.3 percent depends on your depends on the market i think that's like the natural number so yeah, I think um, you know if we if we see that mid single digit appreciation, that that's I don't think that's a, a crazy number to be looking at, and and you know a lot of us a lot of economists are talking about a recession. We just got um, the first look uh, last week of GDP for Q2, which came in at negative point nine percent, and first quarter we were at negative one point two percent GDP. So that's two consecutive quarters of, of contraction in GDP. And um, generally speaking, that, that's, that's kind of textbook or Wall Street def- definition of recession. I mean, the, it hasn't been announced yet and it won't be until a little bit later. Um, and, and, and I think historically what we've seen in recessions is that value, home values, besides the notable exception of the, the 2008, 2009 recession, home values have increased or stayed pretty steady during recessions. But the other thing interesting that happens during recessions is that rates go down. Um, so I, I would think that, you know, end of this year, early next year, we might, we'll probably see some relief in, in terms of rates uh, when when the inflation comes down and as the economy starts to slow down and go into recessionary period. You know who has no relief and, and we're not seeing declines? Renters. Oh yeah, yeah, man. Renters and I and I'm and I you know thank you, Jordan, for for you know explaining the, those things. It gets really complicated. Well, what does that all mean, you know? And I think I look at like rental increases, rental the index there. We have never seen a decline, as far as I've seen, you know, um, on that. And right now we're we're continuing to peak. And and I'm gonna just speak specifically for Oregon, right? When we're forecasting, people I feel like are still definitely migrating to Oregon. You know, literally week after week, Stephen and I receive phone calls from out-of-state buyers, relocating here, investors. And Portland's still the cheapest city on the West Coast by far with an airport, right? Yeah, exactly, exactly. exactly. And pe- people people are very attracted to our climate, to <coughs> just 
you know, things in that it's Oregon has offered. Oregon's city. an amazing place. If you didn't know, <laughs> I love Oregon. It is awesome. We will, you know, in our next video, let's highlight what we love about Oregon. I think that's a great oh, yeah, idea. Yeah. I mean, Portland yeah. especially is such a quirky, interesting place. Always food carts, things to do. Yeah. Always something new to try, yep. which I love. So. so what 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 I wanted to highlight now is, you know, Oregon enacted statewide rent control policies a few years ago, and it capped the amount that landlords can raise or increase their rents by base, basically 9%. Okay, I'm gonna, it's, it's, it's based on um, Case-Shiller. CPI, Consumer CPI, Price Index. Yep. Or yeah, the, sorry, the CPI plus a, or a percent, I think, right? I think it's like, yeah, one half. So I'm something. assuming that it would just basically be maxed out. Probably, With, with inflation, yeah. how bad it, it, it is. Exactly. Yeah, max, it, yeah. Every landlord that I've seen and every tenant that I speak to Rents are being raised to the absolute maximum amount every single time the landlord has opportunity, basically, right? And so I'm kind of, a, you know, you know, we mentioned earlier other markets like San Francisco where they already have stronger rent control laws. This is all new to us. I know, you know. Well, I'll say this. I think when I was living in San Francisco, our rent control was at like 2%. Mm-hmm. That's the max that as a landlord could raise, which was great for me. You know, maybe not so great for my landlord. <laughs> right. <laughs> you know, I stayed there for eight years. I think my rent up went went up like a hundred bucks in total. I mean, there's lots of mom and pop landlords. Yeah. I just I have a client right now that's trying to refinance, but I'm like, what do you rent for? And she's like, oh, I rent it for sixteen hundred dollars. And I'm like, oh. Yeah. yeah. Well, I mean, that's the thing I always tell my investors. Now they're always looking for that quick cash. I mean, you know, these numbers go up quickly. A couple years from now, you may have a negative cash flowing property. That may change really, really quickly. Mm-hmm. You know, I mm-hmm. tell people to look at your equity growth, which is slowing now. That's why people are willing to give up, you know, maybe some cash flowers, you know, the amount they're making because they're making so much in equity. I like to think of that as income as well. Mm-hmm. Um, now they're going to have to change the game a little bit, you know, and they're looking for different strategies. Like I have a lot of people looking into short term rentals, mm-hmm. you know, trying to see how can we make that money because I'm not going to make it with explosive equity anymore in this market. You know? mm-hmm. So, mm-hmm. yeah. So I, I just I think uh, you know Oregon's you know we're still behind we're short about five hundred thousand housing units to meet our current state's demand and if you look at the number of permits and units being produced we're not going to get anywhere close to, to the building the supply yeah so uh, also Oregon has enacted some some other additional land use development changes right constricting supply of more future developments and homes. So I, I, I think in Oregon, we're in a good spot and position because homes and values will continue to appreciate. Yeah. Rents are continuing to appreciate. And so, um, you know, fact is buying a home is cheaper and less expensive than renting is what I wanted to get across. And it's yeah. the, bar- the bar- uh, barriers and challenges to becoming a homeowner are increasing for renters. It's getting harder, right, to say, to have savings and things like that. So, you know, I, I coach clients like, hey, if you're really serious about wanting to get into your first ownership, either primary residence or investment property, start working on those things now. Because, you know, as you know, it's hard to combat inflation, you know, and things like that. Well, one thing that I remember from a Bigger Pockets podcast, they said, I mean, just getting started in general is its own thing. You learn so much. You can't just read all this information. They said, mm-hmm. basically, the uh, I think the parable is basically, you're in California, you want to drive to Pennsylvania, are you going to wait for every single light to turn green before you get started? Because I know from experience, <laughs> I've had to do so many, I've had to learn so many things from tenants leaving or, you know, tough situations, repairs, renovations, etc. 
if you don't get started, you're never you're not going to magically be the the best uh, investor ever right away if you don't have firsthand on hand experience. Yeah. Yeah. So. Awesome. <clears throat> Alex, I know you had uh, an example you wanted to show us of uh, the market. Well, this was going back to the other conversation where we're talking about first quarter versus now. And I, 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 we have two properties just to highlight, and uh, potentially they'll be thrown up on the slide. So I'm just going to talk to you through two examples, basically. But you know, in the this is comparing two homes. I'll just throw it on the screen so you see it. I've got two homes here. They are in the same subdivision in, in a neighborhood in uh, Wilsonville, Oregon, uh, in the Villa Bois community. They look identical. Yeah, these homes look identical. They were built in the same time period. They're only 20 square foot difference. Anyways, one home uh, in March of this year closed at 700,000. This is a four bedroom, two and a half bath home, just under 1,800 square feet. It was listed for 575. That was the asking price of the home. And the close, was 700,000. That means they had multiple offers and a buyer increased and escalated their offer to 700,000, $125,000 over the asking price. And it closed, so we presume they waived their appraisal, they covered the gap, whatever they had to do. The second home in the same neighborhood is closing tomorrow. And uh, we received this information from one of the agents in our office who's in the transaction. That's why I'm not highlighting any uh, addresses or anything's here for that. But this home was listed in June of this year for $599, four bedrooms, two and a half baths, 1,800 square feet, and it's closing at $585, 10, basically 15K below asking price in the same neighborhood. Ooh. Yeah. Basically, yeah, I mean, basically it's coming more back to their actual value. Sure. But what a gut punch for that buyer yeah, who's so, paid yeah, 700k, yeah, right? Sucks for the oh, buyer, sucks for that buyer. That seller that lost out. Yeah, sucks for the seller who lost yeah. out on the timing. Good I had timing. a listing too. My my client, we two of my listings recently that we closed, we missed the mark by 60 days. If we had gone on the market 60 days sooner, we would have caught that wave, right? But and maybe there was something weird about the house. But I mean, they were both built in 2018. They both yeah. have like tiny yards. They're in the same like yeah. 125k Basically can a do a lot. Cookie cutter, same thing. Right? So you know this fast now in this other scenario or not scenario, but um, kind of assumptions, if you will. We we kind of assumed if if that 700k home and the 585, they both put 10% down, and the 700k got a fixed rate mortgage of say at the lowest. I didn't even see this number, but 3.25. That's a really low interest rate if we can all agree. And today's mortgage getting it at five and a half. We're using these as assumed just, just, just assumptions. Just for an example. Just for an yeah. example. So that home at seven hundred thousand, if they had put down ten percent, they would have financed six hundred thirty thousand. Their monthly payment interest taxes insurance would have been just under thirty four hundred dollars, thirty three eighty three. And the second home if they had put down 10% on the 585 purchase, their loan amount would have been 526, not 630. Their mortgage rate is at 5.5%. This payment's 3615, so about $200 more than the first house. But now at the end of seven years, when we look at an amortization schedule, which is the standard schedule of when you make your mortgage payment, how much is left, basically, we look at seven years forward, for the first house that paid at 700k, they still have a balance of 532,000, whereas in the second house only owes 467. So that, that's about the $65,000 difference in equity that the the, the second person has, even with a higher interest rate. 
if that, okay? So don't let that interest rate really be the determining factor to scare you away um, is one thing I, I just wanted to highlight. And we'll, we'll put this up on the slide so that way you guys can see this. Just, just highlighting some differences. Yeah, like, I mean, there's not only one metric you should look at. I mean, one metric shouldn't scare you off. If you can get a deal low enough, you know, then that interest rate is a little bit moot. Yeah. Yeah, I mean, what's your monthly payment? Does it fit for your budget? Yeah. And 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 does the house work for you? Does it, does it serve its needs? Yeah. Can you live in that house? Will you be able to be there for at least a few years? Yeah. yeah. And I mean, there's always opportunity down the line. You you work with the market however it suits you. You right. know, if it, if interest rates drop, opportunity yeah. to refinance and do something. Make your monthly you know? payment lower. And yeah. I we can't predict the future. It's just you you either get in now or you you know things could potentially get worse or maybe get better. Who knows? You know. Yeah. Yeah. Well, cool. I think we had a lot of good points. Yeah, you know, it's it's funny you bring this up because it reminds me. I was just talking to a buddy who sold a home in Salem, um, and I was we were kind of just texting back and forth. And he uh, he had a kind of a unique home. It was like eight acres and a really nice home that he nicely remodeled. And he, he sold it for a, a million and change. Um, and I was like, he was complaining about missing this window that you're talking about. Mm -hmm. And I was like, oh, but you probably got, you know, five or 6% appreciation in those five months. He's like, yeah, comp sold. That was exactly the same specs as mine, same same acreage, same square foot, and it sold for like $75,000 more five months ago. So he, he, he felt like, you know, like the seller in your example, he lost out on that 75 grand. Um, but you know, it's, it's so hard to say, because at that time it's like, you know, you yeah. might just have the one. Plus, I always remind right sellers, most sellers are buying something else, too. So they, they kind of realize it on right. both ends. Yep. You know, you can't always have everything. Yeah. You're going to get something back. Yeah. So. Cool. All right. Well, I think that's great. Uh, Alex, if people are looking to find you, how can they find you? Uh, check out my Instagram, Mr. Fantastic. Jordan? PH. PH. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Mr. spelled out with a PH. Fantastic yeah. with a PH. Yeah. Don't worry, all of our contact info is in, in the yeah, links we'll below. The links. Subscribe to our channel, follow us, look yeah. out for our future posts. Jordan? Oh, yeah, I'm Jordan at um, just at Jordan Lee Mortgage. And yeah, you can find me on, well, just Google me, Stephen Tran, Portland Realtor. Pretty easy to <laughs> yeah. find. Don't want to put my Instagram handle. It's pretty hard to find, so I need, I need to improve that. <laughs> awesome. Okay, all right, thanks, guys. Yeah. Thanks for tuning in to the Realized Gains podcast. If you have any questions for our co-hosts or guests, don't hesitate to reach out. You can find us on Instagram, Facebook, YouTube, or at jordanleemortgage.com.